You're listening to the Full of Hope podcast. I'm RJ Hurd, and today we'll be talking with Ryan Dwyer and his stepdaughter, Violet, about how they share a bond that has been forged by something more than joining families. We'll focus mostly on Violet's story as a survivor of a lymphoma that is rarely found in someone her age. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone. Because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. Hey everybody, it's Ryan. Hey, I just wanted to give you a heads up that uh, in producing this episode, I noticed that the audio quality, particularly on Ryan and Violet's side, is not the best. Um, it sounded great when we were recording it, or it sounded fine, I guess, when we were recording it, but I just wanted to apologize to you, the listener, and mostly to Ryan and Violet uh, for um, some challenges with the audio. Uh, there are spots where it kind of cuts out, and it's tough to hear, and um, I really want to use this podcast to let people share their stories and have them be heard, so... Sorry for the the poor quality on some of the audio, uh, but I really hope you enjoy this episode. Well, Violet, this is super exciting because you're the first person we've had on the podcast that's not an adult. So I think you sharing kind of your story and your experiences is going to be able to help a lot of kids, hopefully, who may find themselves in a situation kind of like yours, right? And they can hear somebody who came out, you know, with a positive outcome. So um yeah. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. Uh, which, so which one of you, who tells it better? Which one of you wants to talk about kind of the, the overall story? We, we both tell it equally well, but <laughs> she elected me to take the first drive. So Cliff Notes version? Yeah, I think we'll start off with be. a cliff. Yeah, whatever, whatever, however much you want to share, because we will get into um, as much of your kind of individual paths and maybe even how you two worked together to support each other, maybe. Um, yeah. But just for now, yeah, like what's the kind of high, I guess, high-ish level version? Well, um November and December of 2018, uh, Violet noticed a lump in the side of her neck, and she brought it to our attention, and uh, we, of course, did the, well, can't be that big of a deal, let's give it some time, and then it continued to worry Violet more frequently, and... uh, we decided to, did we go see a doctor before we left town? We just, no, we were in Arizona. We yeah, we, we were out of town and it just wasn't looking right. And so we took her into a walk-in clinic mm. um, who said that it was swollen glands and uh, they would be draining somewhat soon. So we said, okay. Was there, Violet, was there any pain? Did it, did it hurt? didn't hurt at all. It was just yeah. uncomfortable because, like, I would, like, take a picture and, like, it looked like I was going like this. My mom would tell me, like, to put my neck straight and I couldn't. Oh, really? So some some lack of range of motion type of thing. And it was, uh, by the way, V, Ryan is a cancer survivor. I didn't tell you that. So Yeah. Right. I, and, 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 guys, I am not. I, I had stitches in my hand once. 
<laughs> right? So I I have no everybody's pains equally as important. Yep. It hurt really bad, but everybody has their bad issues. Yeah, I I don't. But well, so I'm equally as curious. You got it. Yeah. Uh, wh- what were you out of town? First of all, what were you out of town for? We you were, were in Phoenix because our uh, Violet's brother was going to school at the time, so we were there for Thanksgiving. Oh, and, really? And um, we end up coming home and going to another uh, walk-in clinic because it was the closest to the house, and yeah. so we there and uh they basically gave us the same version as arizona and except you know maybe different or new pills this time and then you wait a few weeks for those to work and those don't work and maybe you try something else for a few weeks and by the time uh january hit she was pretty terrified go ahead babe. oh and then I remember coming home one day from school, and I hadn't been diagnosed yet, but I was sitting in the kitchen, and it was just me and Ryan, and I told him that I thought I had cancer, and then they told me to not say that, so then I didn't, but I told them again, and then they told me, don't say that, and then when I did get diagnosed, I was just really scared, and I thought like I jinxed it or something. Oh, gosh. Well, so who gave you the diagnosis? Like, who told you that? they believed it was cancer. So when she, she was diagnosed at Evergreen hospital. Okay. Oh, and, yeah. and they were, um, the bedside manner could have been improved in Violet's hearing of finding out that she had cancer. She was at Evergreen and they'd been through there a couple of times. And essentially, uh, the, the, the attending and, Nothing but positive things to say about Evergreen, but the attending kind of approached her as more as if he was talking to like a later adult person and, and basically just said, you know, well, how'd they tell you? Remember at Evergreen? Well, walked in there and we're just sitting in the waiting room and I thought it was just going to come back as like something like totally different. And then they come in just one doctor and he looked like really upset and I was like, uh oh. And then he just said, like, you know what cancer is? And I was like, yeah. And then he told me that they think I have this certain type of cancer. They knew I had cancer, they didn't really know the exact type. Mm. So at that point, um Well let me let me stop you for just a second. Sorry. So you had gone to two kind of dock in the box places, right? And and not not gotten satisfaction. You were gonna say that. that <laughs> Ryan says that he's like docking them. No, and it's just multi care. You no, <laughs> but anyway, yes, Ryan. We went to two, maybe even three dock in the box places. What got you in to Evergreen? Like, what made you decide we needed to go see Evergreen? Because when we went to the walking clinic, they gave me medicine to take for about like a week and a half or something like that. So I'd been taking it and then it just didn't work. So then we just kind of took a break from that. For, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. So we got hmm. a little bit. Well, so what, what did the first time you went in, what did they say you, you had? I mean, what were they trying to treat? Like, cause they thought, they thought that she had um, a rare, uh, a myriad of 
potential sicknesses, including mono was one of the ones that they thought it could have really been. And they, the, the idea was that it was a water balloon that hadn't drained. And once it drained, it would all be gone and it wouldn't be an issue anymore. Um, and in her case, it wasn't. And so it's eventually spread is what it did. Did anybody take it at those clinics? Did anybody take any blood? What kind of testing did they do? Um, well, at one clinic, they tested me for strep. Okay. So the thing, they, like, it's kind of like a popsicle stick, and they just stuck it down my throat. And then they just told me it was a swollen gland, and every time I went to the clinic, they just told me, it was just, oh, actually, the the clinic down the street, they took my blood, and they told me I was fine. Wow. I told you you're what? I, I do remember. I do remember that now. They said she was fine. There was somebody early that, that looked at it. And um, now I don't know that they took her blood and told her it was fine or they tested for something specific huh. that would have involved taking blood and said that that would. I, I don't. Yeah. I would have to be delicate about how I approached that one. Well, either way, the blood test they did didn't result in a in a diagnosis that gave clarity to what she had. Right? Uh, she her her uh, they biopsied it. It ended up going to Chicago, Boston. Nobody figured it out. Nobody figured it out. And then it went to the National Pathology Institute, and they diagnosed her. And fast forward, I believe at Children's at that time, the youngest person to have a diffused large B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was 16. And the median age, I believe, was like early 60s uh, for, for, for that. So um, it was January... So it was end of December, maybe beginning of January, when um, we were eating on eating our words, telling her not to say the, the c word. Mm-hmm. And January twenty fifth, when I remember getting the parent thing at UW to like start staying the nights. Wow. Okay. So UW for for those of you listening, uh, UW is short for University of Washington. Children's. Children's. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going through my own treatment. <laughs> right now, so it's just okay. Like, yeah. Okay. So that's Seattle Children's Hospital. So at some point, once you once you had been tested at Evergreen, at some point you got referred over to Seattle Children's. Is that right? Yeah. When I got diagnosed, they said I needed to go there like immediately, like either in like a day or two. Yeah. How were, by the way, throughout this time, how were you feeling other than the, the, the growth on your neck? I felt fine. Yeah. I was, I felt normal. You felt, so then if you felt normal <laughs> other than this thing that was on your neck and they're telling you, you have cancer, like what does that, how do you respond to that? What did, I would imagine that was confusing for you if you felt normal. Yeah. Did you grasp what it meant at that time, do you think? Or was it kind of like, oh, you have the flu or 
you have a sprained toe or because of what Phoenix, uh, her cousin, um, has been through brain cancer. So would it, does it, does it, because of what Phoenix had been through, did you understand that what you had was more serious than just a normal sickness? And if you did, did that make you feel scared or worried? Or did you just not understand that at all? I just really didn't know what to think. I just knew that I didn't want to be sick and I didn't, I didn't want to stay in office. Ah, okay. So more, more concerned about staying in the hospital. Did did you, if you had a cousin who went through um, treatment for cancer, is it something that even entered your mind, like her experiences or concerns about that? While I was in the hospital, I started thinking about her a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's talk about your, you, you get referred to Seattle Children's Hospital and I'm guessing you started seeing a doctor regularly there. Is that right? Anyway. Yeah. So what did, what did the doctor tell you? Like, what did the doctor tell you? It's a rare um, lymphoma for a child to have, right? And you were the youngest. Did you know at the time you were the youngest to have had it at Children's? Um, I don't think so. No, you didn't even know then. Did you know that now? Like now, before I, this interview. Now I know. <laughs> you just I, told her. Right. The youngest that they had seen was 16 years old. Amazing. And then Google tells me that the median age is like 50 or 60. Or Goodness. <clears throat> wow. Well, so what did what did the, what did the doctor at Children's tell you? Well, like, what, did they give you a plan? Did they tell you what to expect? And her name's Dr. Anu, A-N-U. It's easy to remember. Yeah. So they would come in pretty much like every Monday in my um, hospital room, and they'd just give a plan for the rest of the week, what was going to happen, what chemo I was going to take, and everything like that. So were you checked in? I, I don't even know how it works. Did you check in and stay at Children's, or did you stay at University of Washington? Children's. Okay. Okay. So you're there the whole time. By the way, how long was it between when you first went to Children's and met Dr. Anu and when you checked into the hospital? Maybe a few days we had to get ready. A few days. You know, one major thing was, you know, and I don't know if we can tell me to skip this if we just skip it, but like, are we going to revisit this from what I saw or as while she touches on some of this stuff, should I interject if I know something's been left out? Like, since right now for her, her perspective, that's how she saw yeah. the beginning of this process. But as parents, it was like, I almost feel like it was more traumatic. Oh, okay. So do I let her do this and then I come back to it later or do you want me to like I think it'd be really cool actually to hear if you feel like there's something to fill in go ahead and let Violet share and then go ahead and fill in whenever you realize something you know has you have a different perspective or something that you can feel just because I think I'm sure Violet's already heard this before. Like you talk about these different elements, but you know, this is, 
again, this being the first time we've interviewed somebody that's not an adult, I, I think it'll be interesting not only for kids to hear uh, other kids who have beat something, but also for parents of kids going through it to see what they might have to deal with. So kind of do it in the conversation, I think would yep. be a good idea. And from right. someone just listening, think about that. Like they would want to hear that, I think. Yeah. yeah. One of our listeners. I think so. Right. So, so you meet Dr. Anu and within a few days, you're you're checked into the hospital how long did they tell you you were going to need to stay at children's how how long did you pack for and how long you know did you tell your school that you're going to be out of school and and did you tell your classmates and like what what did you tell people before you um checked into children's if anything well i remember going to school for the last day for when i was going to be there and most of my friends already knew because I told them over text or call before I came to school, so I didn't have to tell it in front of everybody else. So they kind of already knew, and then I just left in the middle of the day, and and they already knew. So I left, and then I packed a lot of clothes and got there, and I pretty sure they told me I was either going to be there for like four to six months. Four to six months? Uh, okay, so she was she was um, there inpatient for seven, it was generally a seven to ten day chemo process. Um, however, she had reactions throughout each round causing her to be re-hospitalized. So it wasn't, it wasn't January through June consecutively every night in the hospital. Right. However, it was maybe like by the third round where, um, she was able to start like spending less time in there, but it was, it was, uh, she was there way more than she should have been. And that thing about packing her clothes, like, that's a big mental thing because, like, they don't, you don't really talk about that. Like, you can spend every day in the hospital gowns. Like, right, if you just walk in the door with nothing on your back, it's no problem. You'll have hospital gowns and socks and shoes the whole time that you're there, you're taken care of. But mentally... Mm -hmm look at yourself every day and that's what you see is the hospital stuff and Violet stayed uh, at the at the top of her fashion game throughout the (laughs) fight and I really think that mentally that made a difference because she made positive choices that made her happy about stuff like what she was going to wear every day you know little things that's a that's yeah. I mean, that's a great tip for for other kids. I think before they started treatment, Violet, before they started the chemotherapy, what did they tell you? Like, what were you expecting the chemotherapy to be like? And did did they put something? Did they put a like a Hickman device or a port or something like that? Okay, so let's talk about all that stuff. So basically, when I went in. I automatically, uh, when I think about cancer, before I knew about it, 
I knew that like some chemos can make you lose your hair. So automatically I was like, I really don't want to lose my hair. And I had a lot of hair. So um, I was really confused on if it was the cancer that would make me lose my hair or the chemo. So I asked a lot of questions about that. And I kept asking when I was going to lose my hair. And I think that's when, like, when I did lose my hair, I lost a lot of my confidence because that just made me feel really uncomfortable because all I knew was that, like, a lot of girls have long hair and I didn't want to get made fun of because I had short hair. Sure. I lost my hair more in, like, the two months I was in. So that happened. And then I was just really nervous when I took my first chemo round. Yeah. But when I first took it, I was like scared it was gonna hurt, but it didn't hurt at all. I just like it I didn't feel sick the like first like five minutes and then I remember like fifteen minutes in I was feeling really sick and I got really scared. Mm-hmm. And then I just started taking it every week. Okay. And, yeah. So, so, um, you, I think you nodded when I asked if you had a Hickman device, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially that is, um, it's a, it's equivalent to a port that goes at least for me, it went in my chest and yeah. yeah, Okay. Oh, there we go. There it is. Ryan Shrink. That is great. pod. That's going to be good for the podcast. (laughs) For our listeners. Yeah. That's awesome. I haven't seen that. I've heard about him so much. Ports from chest. I do this a lot, actually, like, lately uh, we've been friends and stuff like that, and I'll just come out of nowhere yeah. and I'll rip my shirt up and flap them around, and they're like, ah! Hey, I got a separated shoulder. I do this every oh, once in a while. Bro, I mean, I know. that this That's my trick. This, that's all I've got. But it... Anyway, it's oh, not man. a Hickman device. I'm okay, sorry. so for right. those just listening to the podcast, Ryan got out his Hickman device because actually something we haven't even shared yet is the fact that it wasn't only Violet who ended up going through cancer treatment, but at later in, in the story, we'll find out that Ryan was actually diagnosed with cancer as well. So um, both of them ended up as uh, as needing to fight cancer and uh, supporting one another kind of throughout. So uh, pretty, pretty incredible stuff. Um, so yeah, you were, I'm guessing you were pleasantly surprised, Violet, that, you know, they twist the, the thing to your Hickman device and give you the, the chemotherapy and it doesn't hurt it at least instantly, right? But yeah. it started making you sick. You started feeling sick, like your stomach hurt. Did you get headaches? What, did you get tired? Um, well, I never really got headaches. It was really just like kind of my whole body was just like really not really feeling itself. So anytime I felt like that, I would just go to sleep because I just didn't want to be awake for it. But that's, it didn't, it didn't hurt. But I remember before I had my Hickman, they came in with a doll with, with it in the doll. And I saw the doll and I was like, and I got really scared and I was like, what's happening? And so I remember they were talking to my parents about, I would either have to, I would have to get that in my chest. And I was like, what, what's happening? And then 
I remember my parents sitting down with me and telling me that I had to get that in my chest. And I remember being so scared. Mm. And after I had it for a while, it just it didn't hurt. It wasn't that scary in my chest. It just wasn't really as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you still have that doll? No. What was it? Um, let's see. I remember my my daughter's. Ryan, did you get a doll? I didn't get a doll. You didn't? I got no doll. But my daughter's actually got, uh, so I had, I had five and a one and a half year old at the time, two girls, and they both got um, Winnie the Pooh dolls with Hickman devices in them. So they could learn kind of how to, what I was going to be going through. So it feels like something maybe a little bit similar to what, what they did for you. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, after you got that put in, tell me this. Did they come in for a couple of days and at like before they started the medication, ask you how it was feeling and like poke and prod on it? Do you remember that at all? Oh, right. Well, they- sometimes they would feel like where the tube was going just to like feel if it was like in the right place. But yeah. yeah. And it wasn't too, un- it wasn't as uncomfortable as you thought it might be. Yeah. But sometimes when I would go to sleep, I would get wrapped up in the tube because I like to turn in my sleep. And they'd always have to unroll me. And oh no, yeah, right, yeah. Well, I'm guessing so. So one of the benefits of of, or I guess the primary benefit of that device is so that you don't have to have shots all the time, right? Because they need to give you medication and take your blood and all those kind of things, and they can just twist something that hooks up to that device, so you don't have to have shots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing that was good. Did you feel good about that? At least you're not getting poked all the time? Yeah. I do not like thoughts. No. Oh. I put, put the kids under, too, when they do that. Like, for us, you're awake. Mm. They put the kids under to do the... And they put the kids under for the LPs, the lumbar punctures, spinal taps, and bone extracts. Uh, the kids, the kids get to go to sleep. Oh God, I've heard so much about that. It's the way to do it. I'm taking away, but I know you had it, so yeah. Well, so for me, (laughs) here's it is not a comfortable. I don't want one. I'm just saying, but I'd rather be asleep. Well, yeah. yeah. So I like I'm the guy that I'm just such a wimp that I asked, hey. Do I have to be awake for X, Y, Z? So I found out maybe maybe they just thought I was a kid, but they put me under to do the Hickman as well. They put that – I was under – at least under conscious sedation, so I didn't know what was going on. I woke up and thought I had slept the whole time. Yeah, and then now, also- now it's just a t- uh, 10 mil. You can take what you need before you go in, and then a 10-milligram oxycodone cut with Tylenol and that, and that's it. Mm, wow. Wow. And then obviously whatever they're putting in around is the local to Yeah. But no, the first time and not to distract, but the first time I got one it was uh fentanyl lollipops. I've heard about these. Yeah, and I was at first kind of rattled. I was like, man, all I know about that is like what I watch on cops and see on TV and like <laughs> I don't know if I should have that. And they're like, what's your option? So I did it. 
and I laid there and they did what we will probably get to later with the lumbar stuff. Yeah. And, and, um, but it wasn't painful now, uh, just policy changes. Now, like I said, 10 milligram oxycodone cup of Tylenol. Have a nice day. Oh my gosh. Well, so the, the thing with me and fentanyl lollipops was I had kind of gotten used to when I had my lumbar punctures or I'm sorry, when I had the bone marrow biopsy that I was going to be under conscious sedation. So I would be unaware, right? Wouldn't affect, like I'd wake up and I didn't even know anything had happened. Mm. But when they told me they were going to do a, a lumbar puncture, which is another term for spinal tap, I was asking about getting conscious sedation. And the doctor told me, he goes, no, we, you know, we can't do that. It's, uh, I, it's not painful enough or it's just not, does, we can't do it, right? For, just for safety reasons and things like that. And he goes, but do you want a lollipop? And I'm like, what the heck, man? I thought, I thought he was like being condescending, like a smart aleck, like I'm a big wimp and I need a lollipop to make me feel better. And then yeah. I found out he meant the fentanyl pop. Yeah. And you are super sensitive to stuff like that, especially in those moments. And yeah, yeah they, uh, it's funny because most of the people that tell you, and they're all great people, but most of the people that are going to make comments like that and tell you how it's going to be. Uh, my first time around, I bit my lip. Now I can't. Every single time somebody tells me how easy it's going to be, I ask them what their experience was when they had it. And, and eight out of 10 never had it, right? So I just say, I'll let you know afterwards how this whole thing goes, right? But Amazing, don't, yeah. Don't tell me it's going to be awesome if you've never had it done. Nope. <laughs> and by the way, don't tell me about pressure. Pressure is just another term for this is going to hurt in my yeah. experience. You might feel some pressure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or slash pain. Our goal with the Full of Hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page. Or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people, but we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. That interior, it's just not... People hear pressure and they envision and they and they um, sensually associate with exterior pressure onto their body or their skin. That's not what it is by any means. It's a it's a interior pressure that is a, it's at a level so deep that you feel that your bones are going to explode or compact or something. It's not an exterior pressure. Yeah, true. Right? So true. It's such a Oh man, she had nine. Oh. Well, you had nine. You had nine bone marrow extracts, I think. Then you, yeah, no. Then you had, I think, six spinals or something like that. We'll ask mom later. But a had lot. had they um, had you had a bone marrow biopsy or a spinal tap? Had you had one of those tests before you checked into? children's or was the first time you had that done at children's uh, the first time i ever had done was in children's okay 
And and they were able to give you something to make you sleep while they did it. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's sorry to, sorry to interject here, but man, that is one of the scariest parts of this whole thing as a parent. And I wish my wife was here because for one, we're a blended family, and we all get along really well. So she was never alone her whole entire time there. The whole time she had a parent figure with her. And we were with her for all these procedures, but they'd only let one person in the room, right? First time they did that procedure, um, an attorney, so they've got like five nurses sitting around a table, Violet's on the table in tears, or terrified. Alexis is right there with Violet. And then in walks an attorney, and the attorney opens up on the bed a, 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 a hold hold harmless agreement, and and you look at it and you go what? And it just says uh, if your if your child perishes as a result of this procedure, it's you know it's in the name of trying to save their lives and it's nobody's fault. And you have to sign that for each one, but they don't tell you about that. So it's like traumatic enough to be in there, yeah. and then income, income the attorneys with the for the assistance with the legal paper, and you literally sign, or in our case, uh, we signed at, on the bed thirty seconds before the procedure. Right before the procedure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And Alexis, you said that's your wife's name. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a. I could see that being scary as a parent. So Alexis, you've got, let's talk, or I'm sorry, Violet. Um, you've now had chemotherapy. You're feeling weird, right? Like your body feels weird, not, not quite itself. And um, kind of to help with that, you would sleep as often as possible. Did you get tired? Well, there's this one medicine called Benadryl that would make like me feel less sick but it would make me so tired so like like i would just fall right asleep right away like two minutes after i take it as a kid it's probably not as exciting but as an adult benadryl is magic because if you (laughs) if you want to have yourself a good nap dude she had some like poltergeist responses to benadryl like (gasps) Oh yeah, but something you shouldn't let her skate away from, as you talk about weird, is the violet that would wake up from these procedures, from these <laughs> LPs, from these spinals, these extracts. Because she did one with every round, so it was what six rounds of chemo. Yeah. So she did six of those tap of those processes. But she was always, you know, like she'd had about four bottles of wine when she came out of these out of these processes, and she would continuously. Um, well, she had an mo for like physically touching and grabbing the nurses and ex- telling the nurses that their names were not their names, and she just had some crazy, goofy, weird experience. Awesome coming out of that did you slap somebody oh yeah i did oh my god 
the nurse told me her name and I told her that it wasn't her name. And then I slapped her in the face. What? <laughs> now, Violet, I don't, I don't, I don't know you. That's not her. So, like, you know, right? We understand. Ryan, Ryan had some pretty intense um, reactions to you. Yeah, I'm aware of. Yeah, so, yeah, for uh, sure. Did you get any of that on video? Any of your coming out of anesthesia? That's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, after, yeah. Oh after my god. The first two rounds, like. Her dad and I would be like staged like TMZ trying to get good shots of whatever nonsense was going to spew out of her mouth. Wow. Amazing. How long, how long did that usually last while you were coming out? Like half hour or something? Yeah, about a half hour. And then they'd put me in a wheelchair and put me up the elevator and then I'd be fine. Afterwards, though, so after, like, you get in the wheelchair and you go on the elevator, but were you aware? Like, did you know that you were acting weird? I, like, it's, like, kind of weird. Cause I, feel like I, I felt like I had, like, two brains, and, like, one was telling me, stop right now, but the other one was just, like, taking over. And, like, I, I remember, like, I, I remember, like, knowing I was doing this, telling myself to stop, but the outside of me was just... Totally not listening. You had a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, right? Devil one on that one. <laughs> Telling you what to do. Speaking <laughs> in different accents every time as well, which was had never happened. Seriously? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's even... Oh God, that's amazing. What was, what was the go-to accent and which one was the most convincing? Or could you even tell? I don't even... Yeah, you do. <laughs> You've seen the videos. Probably yeah. do the accent. What accent? I don't know. She had a lot of them. There were a lot of personalities hiding in that head that I hope just stay in. <laughs> <laughs> but they only came out after anesthesia, is that right? Yeah, or if I took steroids. Oh, okay. Well, I think we'll probably... Wait. I'm guessing the steroids came a little bit later, right? Yeah, when you'd be coming back from the or taking the chemo. Yeah, the chemo. Yeah. Yeah. Where are we at on Where are we at on the timeline right now? Yeah, we've had so, the so Hickman, much. She's done her chemo. So yeah. she. I mean, it's basically the same loop for five rounds of chemotherapy. You know, struggles throughout each round, like I referenced, that brought her back and extended her time there. So. She was never just there 10 days. She was there over multiple weeks through the process until we got towards the end. Um, but, yeah, the team stayed pretty much target to date. I mean, they ended up, again, January 25th, I remember us getting our overnight badges. And beginning of June, she was um, discharged. Okay. So uh- – Violet, were you keeping in touch with friends during this or family? How were you, who were you talking to? Well, I have this one friend. We weren't that close, but we were pretty good friends. And when she heard that I had cancer, she told me right away that she would shave her head for me. And I told her that she didn't have to do that at all. And then once I had cancer and lost my hair, she shaved her head right away from me. 
So she would come visit me a lot in the hospital, bring me like my favorite foods and drinks. And her name's Kelsey and she's my best friend. Shout out. Uh, out Kelsey. That's a good friend. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's pretty amazing. Why don't you tell them what was cool about like what happened with your school? Cause you had to leave school and a lot of kids would have been in a position where um, they would need to, they would fall behind and, and then need naturally need to catch back up. And in your case, why don't you tell them like what some of your teachers did? And Well, my teacher, um, my fifth grade teacher, we were pretty close. And when I was in the hospital, and I was like in the mood, um, she would come to the hospital and help me catch up on some work so I would be ready for sixth grade. And my principal came in just to check on me and say hi and see how I was doing. And that was pretty cool of him. Wow. What's your What's your fifth grade teacher's name? Miss Bornhart. Miss Bornhart. Wow. That's above and beyond, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's minimizing it. They they dropped off weekly assignments that made it so that she, at the end of all this, would end up being on par with her class. Wow. Pretty cool. And coming to our house when she was not in the hospital on those weeks you would hope to have each month in the cycles where she'd be home they'd be at our house. So it's pretty cool. Well, so the whole time, Violet, you're, when you stay at, at Children's Overnight, um, did somebody get to stay with you? Or were you all by yourself? No, I was with um, either Brian, just like I was always with somebody. Yeah. I, I'm wondering when you had schoolwork to be able to focus on and other stuff, I'm guessing you did some watch some YouTube videos or streamed Netflix or something like that along the way. Is that right? Well, something kind of weird with TV. I would always turn down the volume all the way and watch the TV because I didn't like the sound of it at the time. It was just like really like just like all the people talking would stress me out. So I just either watch a YouTube video, but it would be on totally silent and I could just read their mouth. Wow, really? Yeah. You checked out even a little more than that because essentially she'd keep earpods in. So like you wouldn't know it was up to her whether she'd respond or not, because you would just assume she's listening to something. Hmm. Were you do you remember, did you feel more sensitive to sound like during what you were going through? Maybe that was a response to the medication or something? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I do know that I got like more like better with the sounds because there was a lot of beeping and stuff like that. Because like, yeah. like the bag was empty, they'd have to put a new one and it beeps so loud in the middle of the night. And I just remember rolling over and just being like, well... Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever wear just straight up earplugs? No. Because mm. sometimes I sleep through it, but my parents want it. Right. Well, I got on, so I, I was in the hospital for like six weeks and I, I got in the habit of going to sleep with earplugs just because it was so noisy, not just the beeping, but 
the elevator. The elevator. Oh, oh my gosh. It felt- it's the elevator. Don't get a room next to the elevator. That's what Yeah. It, it felt like he goes all night. <sighs> Ryan, don't get a room next to the elevator, buddy. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't even get me started on <laughs> my room process right now. We'll get okay. We'll get we'll get into all of that, I'm sure, Ryan, with you. So Violet, how did you um how did you deal with, you know, knowing that you're gonna need to sleep away from home at the hospital for many days in a row? Did that feel scary? Did it feel um just different? Like what were your thoughts about that? Well, it was a lot more scary when I was, so at first, when I just heard I had to stay in the hospital, it was really scary, but then when I got there, the first few nights were, like, really scary, and I just kind of got used to it, and I put, like, my own pillows and my own decorations, and it just made me feel more at home, but what was is when I would go home, and then I'd feel sick, and then I didn't want to go back at all. But then I know that I would have to go back because I'm having a reaction, so that would be really scary. So if you don't mind sharing, I mean, share as much as you want, but what kind of what kind of things happened when you went home that made you have to go back? What were the, the things that you dealt with? Fevers. Fevers. Uh, it was like we had this chart, and if I went, like, either – what was it? It was over a certain, like – amount 99 99 i would have to go to hospital okay which was happening way too frequently it was happening all every it happened every time she left the hospital a fever so what did they end up doing then they check you back in did they give you fluids did they did they give you medication well they take me to this it was like all the way downstairs. I don't remember what it was called, but it was just like this room and I'd sit there and I'd wait for them to come in the and ER. then the ER and then they'd stick this thing really far up my nose, like uh-huh. really every time. And they just see if I was like what was going on. And then Yeah, I mean, you got you got a number of viruses. And then like Every time I would have to go home or go back to the hospital from home, I'd get checked. And then pretty much every time I'd have this thing called a rhinovirus where I would get like a cough and a stuffy nose. So that's why I'd have to go home every or go back to the hospital from home every time. Wow. Which is a three-day hold when you go back there. You, you're, you need to be three days symptom-free. And then they let you go. So I see. Okay. That's biggest fear. As soon as you get sick, you're automatically thinking you're about to disappear for four days, and usually you do. When when you came back home, um, in between your treatments, were you? Um, I'm guessing you weren't able to go back to school, right? Because you're you're not feeling well. So were you doing schoolwork from home still at that point? Well, when I would come back home. My teacher would come to the house and do school with me. But, like, if I was, like, feeling, like, really sick, the teacher would have come over, but I wasn't allowed to go to school. She was quarantined, though. I mean, again, short of, like she said, the teacher coming in, she was, she went nowhere. Were you allowed to have people come visit you besides your teacher? Um, it was pretty much just, like, 
my grandparents, his parents, and my best friend, Kelsey, and her mom. Okay. Yeah. How long was it, by the way, I never found out. How long was it before the, the lump in your neck started going down or went away? Do you remember? Um, well, when they did the biopsy, they took a piece out, so it was already smaller after the biopsy. And then, like, a month or two in, it was just definitely going down a lot. But it wasn't just in my neck. It was here as well in my, like, in my spleen. And it was, it had gone from her, you know, it started as an early stage, which meant that it was, well, it was not removable. It was above they cut your body like this. And um, often with masses, especially, if the mass is up on the top level and removable, um, it would be considered stage one out of her neck. Um, right, for that, I mean, but for adults. It's, so so Ryan's... Letters for the kids. Okay, Ryan's indicating a like a four square quadrant type of thing with his arms. Yeah, and then it's more uh, of a visual thing. Yeah, but bottom line is, uh, it, it it ended up spreading from her neck to like by her clavicle, and then into her spleen, and then um, I think that was it. Was it when it went down to her spleen? Was it still visible? Oh no! But yeah. it was visible on the on the scan. Test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not and to the naked eye. When you get away from that, but as 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 quickly as the buildup took place to us getting used to and Violet falling into the pattern of what was the life of now fighting cancer. I mean, she was in remission fairly early with their treatments, so. Um, that was crazy too. Just, I mean, I think she was on month four, maybe the end of month three when you were, when you were actually in remission, like in remission and you still have to do the rounds of chemo after that. But like, we are just at that point and Violet's just normalizing this life now of living in the hospital. And then it's just like one day, bam. Was she in the yeah. hospital that whole time? Never, like, never went home and not. Oh no, no, she was in the hospital. Two, I'd say at least two and a half to three weeks a month on average. Okay. The whole process. So, tell me about how. Tell me, do you, if you remember the day you found out that you were in remission, and how did they tell you? I'm guessing they had done a bone marrow biopsy. So they did a test. Do you remember what that looked like? Like who told you? Well, I I have a, you said, I remember I wasn't there and you called me and somebody filmed you calling me to tell you. So do you remember that kind of experience? Um, Well, I remember, I think I was in remission a few days before my birthday, which was, May 20th, May 20th, so I think it was a few days before my birthday, I was in remission. No, we, it was a little earlier than that, because I actually remember, I got diagnosed in May, and we knew you were getting, I was diagnosed May 5th, they called us, yeah, they called us, 
May 5th to tell us that she'd be out in June and finished with chemo. Okay. And the reason why I, I remember the date, so you're right. And the reason why I remember the date, which we'll get to later, is because I, I was diagnosed the next day. So I remember that day. And you were told through a phone call that she was well, that she was, yeah. the cancer yeah. was gone? Like a six o'clock Friday call that you never want from a hospital. And it was the head honcho and we were just like, well, it can't get any worse, right? Like, what could it possibly be? And then that's when she told us and, and then we celebrated. Oh my gosh. How, yeah. How'd you celebrate? Well, at that point, Violet was with some friends. So her mom and I made it down to the closest watering hole. <laughs> Heck yeah. You, uh, you celebrated. Yeah. Hey, Violet, I want, I would, do you have any like funny memories, like funny stories or something weird that happened or maybe was embarrassing that you want to share? I mean, cause Ryan did, he, he talks a lot, but um, my Ryan over here, this guy, oh, oh, oh. This, this guy, Ryan. Um, but he he's told a bunch, <laughs> he had a handful. I think there's, uh, was the, um, hmm. Chinese doctor, the, the nurse that really worked with you and taught you how to write in Chinese, but made you feel off. Remember, you asked him to get the dog? Do you really want to tell that one? I don't know. I think he wants you to, yes. I think you want to say that. Okay, so she <laughs> but um, there were lots of really open and good personalities there, and they became very close with Violet, and they really liked her a lot, and that was obvious. And um, there's this one guy who we've got this just Hudson that we have these awesome pictures of Violet sitting in like a little chair, looking out of the room she couldn't leave, which was a glass door, and Hudson teaching her how to write in forms of Chinese and I should know and I don't know what the dialects were but it was just so cool like they were like that close like teaching her how to write right and, wow. and you're looking at it and you're looking at this close little closed door with this probably 20 something year old nurse teaching the 10 11 year old cancer patient how to write in another language I mean it was just overwhelming I mean they were just such good good connections and she had a dog wait 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 she had a dog that like heated up and smelled like lavender something like that you know like they'll have stuffed animals with scents in them and you like you did violet yeah, yeah. It was or hudson with like beads inside of it and the beads smelled like lavender and once they heat up it would like be like a warm stuffed animal that would help me sleep but I wanted it in the daytime and I put it on my stomach when it didn't feel well and you can tell the rest. Well, uh, she asked Hudson to go heat the dog up in the microwave. In the microwave. And Hudson like, Hudson like did an about face and it was just like, do you think because I'm Chinese, I'm going to put the dog in the microwave? And like, she thought he was dead serious. Like it looked like he was serious, but he wasn't serious at all. And he, he went off on this engine for just long enough for, 
everyone just stop and feel sick and paralyzed and then just be like, yeah, of course, no problem. And then he came back with it on like a dinner serving plate, like a waiter up above his thing. It, it was, uh, that, that was, and we needed that at that point. The parents needed that at that point, but it was, uh, I don't know if that one will be retold, but that was one of them. That's amazing. It is. Hey, and hey, Violet, what, um, when you were going through this, do you, do you remember what some of your like uh, biggest, well, what was the things that made you feel good? Like your support or, uh, it, it, I mean, it could be the stuffed animal or your friend that shaved your head. What, what were some of the things that made you, that helped you like get through it? Well, a lot, I, I loved all the nurses that I got. They were all really funny. And I remember this one nurse, her name was Alexis. Exact same name as my mom. And she sat in the room for an hour and we just told each other jokes for an hour. And it just like, the nurses were so nice. They would just be so patient, take their time with me. And it was definitely the nurses my family that really helped me get through it if you could talk to other kids what would what would you tell them like would you do you have any advice you could give to other kids yeah so when you're feeling like really sick like I was it's like really hard to not think about being sick so really in your head you just gotta think that like can't think anything like besides good thoughts or else it's just not going to make you feel well so you just got to think really good thoughts like can you get through this and I did not want to think like anything negative because I didn't I just didn't want to feel that way so I always had positive thoughts and if I did feel sick or I felt like something was going to happen I always asked a question or I told my parents how I was feeling and then they would tell me something to make me feel better so then I wouldn't have to be so worried about it anymore. So then I wasn't feeling so sad or sick anymore. That's two, that's two awesome, awesome pieces of advice, right? So stay positive. It, however you, however you need to, to get there where you can have positive thoughts. And then it sounds like you were really honest and kind of communicated early and often with your, your friends and doctors about anything that felt weird or wrong or something like that i gotta tell you i gotta confess i was not that guy when sometimes when things weren't quite going right i'd kind of keep it to myself because i thought it would just go away maybe or i didn't want to appear like scared or weak so good for you for being so brave and willing to just right away share what was happening i think i i, I bet that had a lot to do with you doing um, so well in the treatment. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So you find out you're so okay. Your 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 um your parents found out first, right? Because they got the phone call that you're in remission. How did or who who found out first? Um, I think it it was me and my mom. My mom and I were in the room, and they told us. And I just couldn't wait to tell Ryan. So right after, I called him and I told him. Awesome. Do you remember what they told you? Did they just come right out and say you're in remission? Did they show you a chart? Like what was the... Did they tell you that you were going to be finished with the chemotherapy and that this, what they were trying to accomplish with the chemotherapy was They just was told me that the chemotherapy was working 
and I was in remission, but I need to, to do two more rounds, just like the extra rounds, just to make sure everything is going like that. And I was super happy that I was getting close to the end and I could get out of there. <laughs> what did that feel like when you heard that that message from them that you had beaten cancer? How did you feel? Were you relieved? Were you proud? What do you remember what those emotions were like? It just felt like I didn't let cancer take me over and I didn't let it win. Yeah, that's a fact. I'm curious to know, though, it seems like you had some reactions, right, to the medication at various points. Um, But was there ever really a point where you felt some sort of symptoms from the cancer? Or do you think it was all just from the medication that, that they were giving to you to get rid of it? Could you tell? Um, the steroids definitely made me definitely kind of a different person. I was really mean when I was on steroids. Were you on prednisone? Was it pre- I was going to ask. Because I've done a few of these and I have never been, but everybody has. It was. Yeah. Okay, so you had no filter, you you didn't think, bef- and then you just sounded like a, just. Yeah, whatever I thought, I said, basically. <laughs> and- this is a common thread. Uh, Ryan and his wife, and he has two kids, and they're, hmm. Oh, I was, was such a, tri- a It was a trying situation for their family because of that, yeah. I had no idea, so, but. You had the same thing, Violet. Yep, you had it. I don't know what to call it, but... There was a name, so she ha- she has a middle name, which is Ophelia, and often throughout her life growing up, when her sassy, rude attitude would come out, which was very rare, to be honest with you, um, it would be referred to as Ophelia instead of Violet. And so Ophelia was making more appearances than normal. She is nowadays too, as we approach 13, I've noticed. What? Um, yeah, I have enough for (laughs) To support the Full of Hope podcast, please go to the support the podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear positive outcomes of those been through them themselves your support will be huge to help us grow did prednisone have any other effects on you like did you did it make it hard for you to sleep actually i don't really remember ever ever really having a hard time sleeping but i just remember when i was on prednisone i was really mean Mm. was uh what were you on the night what was the pill that we never oh no Okay, this is this is an incredible story. Yeah, you should hear it, so. and I want you to also include, um, and then they'll ask why, and you just can say it was a family friend, but include why that night was so crazy as well, and like who was on your bed when you came out of thinking that everyone was trying to kill you. Okay, so I don't remember what the pill was called, but it was like a new one that they were that I was trying and I took it and the reaction was within five minutes and it was 
my mom and my dad's girlfriend was there and it was just them and me and I was sitting on the bed and I remember this nurse coming in telling me I needed to take this this met this medicine after I took the pill and I told him I didn't want to take it but and that was kind of like getting towards my reaction so I was denying all like my medicine that they were trying to give me and then I remember whispering in my mom's ear and I was like he's trying to kill me and my mom was like no honey no just please take the medicine and then I started freaking out and so I was crying and I kept telling my mom that they had the wrong kid and I didn't have cancer anymore and that they were all like like secretly talking about me and trying to kill me and I was just really upset and my mom was like honey just please calm down and I had a bucket because I felt like I was going to throw up and then I threw it at my mom and I told her that she was going to kill me and my mom called my dad and told him that he needed to come to the hospital and try and calm me down. And then my dad got there and sat in a chair next to me. And I remember just looking at my dad saying, and I grabbed his shirt and I said, get me out of here now. And I was like trying to unplug everything and just like pull my cords out. And I, and I just remember telling him that I needed to get out of here. They were all trying to kill me. And then all of a sudden I was I started to get like really like sad and then I told them all if I died right here will my mom come with me and I just told them all that I would see them soon and I wasn't going to be there anymore Mm. and then my dad or my brother walked in with Macklemore actually um wait 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 what yeah the so the pre- the preface is that okay. All right. Ben and his Macklemore, Ben and his and Violet's dad have a long relationship. Ben has been helpful with our son in other areas of life. And in on this evening he was dropping our son off at the hospital at the same time Violet was upstairs having this reaction. And instead of leaving, um, they actually wouldn't even let him into the hospital. And it took having to like make some corporate calls to be like, you know, some front door. Well, he does a lot for those hospitals. Right. Yeah, he does. Well, but the bottom line is, uh, after a night of helping with our with our son, um, he then came up to help with Violet and I'll let her take it from here. Wait, wait, before before you do that, how old's your brother? And how many siblings do you have? We didn't even cover that. I have one brother. He's 18. Okay. okay. Do you like him? Is he is he nice to you? Yeah, most of the okay. time. Well, because I've, I've got one of each, too. And I'm, they're a little closer, but we're working on it. So I was just curious. Oh my gosh. So you're having a reaction to the medication and essentially freaking out. And that those are real feelings, right? Violet, it's not like you're being dramatic. Like you really feel what you're telling these people. Yeah. I just, and it's not like I had like a, some, like, it's not like I was telling myself to stop. Like I knew, like I knew this was like 
I felt my like I felt myself knowing that it was true. Like everything I was saying, I was just. She called me and she said um, that the nurse and her mom were trying to make her take things that were going to kill her. And she, because in this mental spot, she was putting together the fact that she really is getting sick. Chemo makes her sick and everyone's telling her to take the chemo. So logically combined with where her brain was with those substances, that's what, uh, that's what happened. So, um, but I remember the, the, you need to get me out of here. And just like the helplessness, like all I wanted to do was go rip her out of the hospital and get her out of there. Like knowing none of it was true, just hearing it in her voice and knowing how serious she was about it was like, man, I want to get her out of there. Oh my goodness. But then. And then I remember Ben sitting at the end of my bed and then the whole room just went quiet and I sat there and I grabbed his hand and I was like, are you real right now? And then he was like, yeah. And then I remember just like getting like super happy and just like sitting there. And was that the first time you'd met him? That's your, no, Ben, that's your brother, right? Matt Lamore, which she doesn't go by in, in, in circles like that. Uh, Okay. that would be more his stage name, right? And so he's Ben. Then, okay. So it was him. It was him that settled it. Okay. Sorry, I didn't know. And I was just sitting there, and I just like asked him some questions. I don't really remember. Uh, I remember. I know every single one of them. Don't. He sat down, and first she looked at him, and her eyes were just like. Like, I can't even do it because she looked like she was on drugs. Literally, she looked like she was, like, high on a drug. Like, something had gotten in her system that wasn't on the hospital plan. And her eyes were, like, not normal. And and he, uh, he asked if he could sit down. And she said yes. And then she grabs his hand and she says, are you real? And he says yes. And she says... Is your watch real? And he says, yes. She says, are those real diamonds in your watch? And and he says, yes. And then there's just kind of like this, oh, and like this, there's a brief pause. And then it's how many, how many and it may not have been this exact order, but so you live in a mansion? Yes. How many mansions do you live in? One. How many cars do you drive? Three. What's your favorite car? Uh, the uh, Maybach. Oh, no, Cadillac, I think it was. I don't know. That's bad. I should know because one of them is probably a sponsor. <laughs> uh, and then... And then um, He's asking him these questions. Then he goes, Violet, uh, we're not here to talk about me. What's going on with you? And then, like, they, he just sat there for, like, 
probably a good half hour just on her bed, the two of them holding hands, just like talking. And oh my gosh! Yeah, man, pretty amazing blessing, courtesy of her, of her, like I said, her dad's relationship with them. Um, wow! To, to have them come up in a time like that, where, um, because I think that Violet also knew earlier in the night that Nick, her brother, was with Ben. And and although maybe she wouldn't have shown it, I know that it would have bothered her that she was stuck in a hospital while Nick is with Ben doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. And so I think just that really that really saved that night and it turned it around. And um, I'll let her take it from here, but he ended up coming back multiple more times, bringing his daughter, his wife, and really made a dedicated effort to um, visit Violet uh, in the hospital after that point. So that was pretty cool. So you basically became friends with Macklemore. Yeah. So do you have advice for our listeners on how to get Macklemore yeah. in your room? How can we do that? Uh, I mean... <laughs> amazing well first of all kudos to your interviewing skills it sounds like you really had lots of questions for him you there was some information you wanted to get did that do you remember in that moment did that help you focus on something else and and calm down or had they given you something to kind of deal with the reaction you were having to that that medication you'd taken well I don't really remember all of it, but I just remember that he just sat down and held my hand, and then that just calmed me down, and then I went to sleep. The the pill was Ativan, of all things, and it was a, I believe they call it a, uh, like a bipolar react, react, I'll have, it'll come to me later, but it's when... It's when uh, the pill, and it rarely happens, has the exact and extreme example of the opposite effect of what it's supposed to have. Yeah. So in her case, it was given to her for anxiety, and they might as, you know, they gave her meth or something, basically. Did they? Yeah. So... I had I had a similar reaction to to um, an anti nausea medication called Regalin, and they called it EPS, extreme something or other. But um, I essentially wanted to kill myself, and it wasn't in my personality at all, right? So it was just such an extreme reaction. And you're being literal, like you're not. You didn't feel like you wanted to die. Like you were feeling like you wanted to kill yourself. I was feel yeah, it, it, I had just checked into the hospital and I, I just couldn't handle, I knew there was no way I was going to be able to stay there. And I was trying to figure out how to jump out of the seventh floor. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is, so it's Ativan and Ativan, at least when I was going through treatment, was referred to as vitamin A. Like literally everybody was on Ativan as an anti-anxiety, helped people sleep. Um, and I've, I've never heard of anybody having that kind of reaction to it. So that's incredible. Paradox, a paradoxical, it's like a paradox. 
oxial reaction, I think is what it's called. Wow. Ryan, you just won the big term of the day award. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm Googling that on my other screen right yeah. now. Nailed it. Um, keep it to yourself until it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Well, so was that the last time you ever took Ativan? Yes. And then every time I would check into the hospital, they'd give me this wristband that was red and it said something like, don't give her that. Yeah. Don't do it. So was that pretty early on then in your treatment that uh, you had that reaction? It was yeah, like about mid-way. three months. Mid-way. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you've beaten cancer. You feel amazing, right? How, if at all, do you feel like this whole experience has changed you? I know you've probably grown up a lot since being diagnosed as a 10 year old. What's this? Oh, you look, you Google it. Were you right? I know, I know your partner's Googling it. So I was waiting for him to tell me I'm right. No, I I was totally lying. No, that's too much work. Like I'm just listening to you guys. I'm really focused on you. Paradoxical reaction. Nailed it. Got it. And you got it like probably three minutes faster than I could have found it anyways. Okay. Sorry. Right. Yeah, no problem. So, so, you know, you were 10 when you were first diagnosed and, and now you're 12. How are, how are you different? Well, definitely a lot stronger because I was really weak. And um, I remember weighing myself every day because that's what I had to do. And I didn't eat enough, so I had to get feeding too. Okay. I... I didn't talk for three days. That was really scary for them. I know that because I didn't talk for three days because it hurt my throat because the plastic would rub against my throat and it would hurt. Oh, oh, wait. So they put the feeding tube down your throat? Yeah, up my nose and down my throat and my stomach. And that was during your, your treatment? Oh, interesting. I'm it's curious. I'm wondering why they didn't do that through the Hickman device because I I had I was fed through a Hickman device. Anyway, who knows? Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's uncomfortable, and you weren't able to talk during that time. Yeah, but as it was like feeling the liquids on it, it would get softer, so it wasn't as hard in my throat. So then I could talk perfectly fine after that. So after getting to eat. Every, anything I wanted to, through my mouth because I didn't really I didn't like eating through the tube I got a lot stronger and I definitely weigh more now and I just feel a lot more healthy and I feel like going through that made me a lot more mature in my opinion Ryan more mature yeah I mean she's she's not a Regardless of this experience, she was on a different trajectory than most as it was. So, and I know all the parents say that or whatever, but um, she was uh, one of the reasons we were so worried when she stops talking is because she never shuts up. So uh, when she stops talking, that was like kind of scary because we're all telling her throughout the day 
just give it a rest, take a break, you know, where do we take the batteries out? Just like, give us a second, because she's always talking. So to, to have her go to not talking was like, you know, it's just the opposite of what you know from somebody. So that was, uh, that was pretty scary. And she maturely handled it by like immediately before panicking, like summoning a pen and a paper and making sure she started writing out what was going on. So everybody was aware, um, you know, or I would be probably punching the side of my bed and just pissed off. And, um, it was, it was not what we were asking her to do. And she continued doing what we asked her to do, which was just stay positive and as cool as you can. And, let everything just kind of take place so yeah. she's out she can't talk and then they tell us well should hopefully be better in a few days you're just kind of like whoa like, yeah crazy so oh. but it wasn't it wasn't that you didn't want to talk or you were sad or mad or anything right it just was so uncomfortable yeah and i was scared that I didn't really know, like, how it worked, and I was scared I was going to swallow it if I talked, but it was way too long to do that, so when I started talking, just felt, just got used to it after a while. Yeah. Would you say now, at this point, life feels normal, and what's, like, what's normal like to you? Just being able to just... Just feeling more strong and being able to just, like, get, like, when I would get up out of bed, I just feel so weak and I'd have to hold on to something. Just being able to get up, go hang out with my friends and just do what I would normally do without having to just, like, worry about, can't go to that place, you have to take your medicine now, or you have just, like, you have to be your feeding tube now. It was just really kind of annoying because like I feel like I had to take my medicine all the time or use the feeding tube all the time be careful about infections yeah infections so that's kind of like and part of what he's saying is that's kind of that that kind of played a role because once COVID hit everyone started freaking out and the way that everybody decided they had to start living was how we had already been living all year long right with like masks and seclusion and all that yeah washing your hands all the time yeah yeah wow so school is obviously different this year than it was last year right hopefully we'll get back to some sort of normal at some point with that and so it may be, I'm wondering, it, it, you know, I, I was going to ask if you feel like people treat you different than they did before, but it may be hard to tell because you're not as, you're not able to interact with people as much as you used to. Yeah, well, when I did have cancer, uh, I just, I didn't really feel like I got treated differently, but when I, when I did go back to school in sixth grade last year, uh, I had short hair. I was just starting to grow my hair back. And I was really nervous about that going to school with my hair like that. But it really, like, really wasn't a problem. Uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. There was, like, maybe one or two rude comments, but didn't really 
bother me that much. Mm-hmm. I had my, my friends by my side the whole time. And I feel like I got treated how a normal person would be treated. Amazing. Oh, so... So that's a great, I, I'm looking right now and that's a great head of hair you have. I was thinking the same thing. I've been thinking that the whole time. I like Seriously. the little hmm. Russell Wilson. What? what? It's a Russell, wait, what? He can sometimes do. It's, it's an afro, basically. Yeah. Separations in the preparation. I, yes. Separations in the preparation. She's also oh, being. I got you, Guys. You know, kids are kids, and uh, she uh, she did deal with experiences that would just kind of make you stand back as a parent and say, like, how can another kid say that to another kid type of thing? Well, it was more in public, the staring in public really got to me, but not as much at school, at least from what I So, hey, this weird question, maybe, I don't know. Uh, did you consider like any kind of a wig or anything for a young person? Like we've talked about it with the adults, but did was that ever a consideration or some kind of a? My best friend and I were very excited. We were like, let's just get matching wigs, and then I got one and she got one. And at the time, she was still going to school because school was going on, but I couldn't go. So I got a wig and I put it on and right away I was like, this is not what my hair looks like ever. And I didn't wear a wig after that. You didn't like the look? Nope. Say nope. No, thank you. It just didn't look like real enough for me to wear. It just didn't look right on me. But my best friend wore one and I think it looked really good on her. So were they matching your wigs? Well, my hair is brown and hers is blonde, but we wanted to get, like, the same cut of, like, length and stuff like that. I see. So. so you did get your wig. You were trying to find something that would look like your natural hair, and it just didn't feel right? Yeah. Yeah. Is Ryan looking at a wig? I'm just – I'm just – is he – I don't know what. Oh yeah, Ryan. I don't know if he has hair before Violet. I, but it, did did he try it on? I'm a guy that could be caught in a mask or a wig or a costume at any random point, as it is, no matter what, just in our normal lives. So. No. But um, you know, the that was crazy though is she lost her skin pigment. She has very beautiful dark brown skin. And she lost her skin pigment through the chemo and was like a white that she's not. And um, I remember that was weird, too, because when we were getting our getting the wigs, because, like, you know, we had grandparents and everybody researching where to get whatever wig we hoped she'd like, right? And we were doing it to our vision of Violet. And then it took us a good few weeks to realize she was a completely she looked like a different race of a person a completely different color so her colors come back beautifully now but that that was a that was another thing I remembered at that time like we should have been buying blonde wigs instead of like brown wigs because like you've lost 
skin pigmentation, you know? So I just thought of that when it came up. Did you have thoughts about that, Violet, when you when you noticed that your skin color had changed? Um, or did I, you notice? I think I did notice that I was a lot more pale, but I didn't. I didn't really bother me that much because I just knew that, like, I like didn't want to wear wigs because honestly, kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. And not that I loved the way I looked without hair. It was just. It was more comfortable for me to have my hair how it was because I had peach fuzz the whole time. Mm-hmm. Never locked it completely. Oh, really? Oh, I had all just little patches. But at first, when my hair started to grow back, mm-hmm. it was blonde, and then it turned red, and then it finally turned back brown. But my hair was never curly, and now it is fully curly. Oh, wow. Oh. Ryan, didn't something happen with your hair? I don't remember. Yours went, yeah. oh, okay. Mine... Apparently, that's a thing. I'm just saying, I can't remember, but we've had several episodes, and mm-hmm. you know, Ryan's came back a little. Mine came back dark. Like, I used to have, like, very, very salt and pepper, like, le- like it is now, if you can tell. a long time ago. Leaning salt. towards salt, and I was 30 and had salt, like, pretty gray hair, and it came back completely black. And it was many years before it started getting gray again. So lots That's of people have weird stuff with their hair, but I, I've never heard of blondes or red to brown. Like you went through a whole thing there. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. So you're stronger now. You're more grown up. Violet um, has, has your experience made you feel, do you feel like it's given you any new goals in life? How has it affected like what you think you or has it affected what you want to do in life well since i had very amazing nurses for a while i've been thinking about like wanting to be a nurse but it's also like would be i feel like in my opinion from my perspective it would be sad for me to have to give kids medicine that would make them feel sick when I know that the nurses don't want to do that, but they also want to help you feel better. And I want to help kids feel better too, but I don't want to do that by making them be sick and having them go through that. Violet, what if you help develop medications that actually work and don't make people sick? Well, then that would be great. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's really what we need, right? Yeah, that's the magic. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Violet, for sharing your story. Yeah, you, no did, you did an awesome job. And by the way, awesome job also beating cancer. I mean, no big deal. Just just side note. Yeah. Just, good job. That's it. Yep. Awesome Not job. <sighs> yeah. So proud of you. So the day after Ryan finds out that uh that Violet's in remission. Ryan, you get some news yourself. So do you want to? Do you want to just tease that? No secrets. There's no secrets. No, no. Say it out loud or don't say it at all. That's what I tell my kids. <laughs> I'm just but kidding. She said I'm supposed to be leaving in 15 minutes. Is it okay for me to go pack my bag? So if you say thank you and we'll talk. <laughs> okay. Have a good time, Violet. Thank you so Bye, much. Violet. Thanks so much. You're gonna help tons yep. of kids. Love you. Yep. Good job. So she's in remission, and you get a yeah. call. Wasn't it the next day? 
Yeah, it was the next is fr- Friday when they called us to tell us that she was going to be in remission. And it was Saturday when uh, we got the news that I had leukemia. And the way that happened was just because I was short of breath. And so I went to a quack in the box and uh, he sent me to an emergency room and the emergency room diagnosed me on the spot. So uh, we're just going to leave it at that. I want to, I want to just tease the story because I want to get way more into, into the story. And then also like, obviously we'll talk about, you know, not just what you went through and are continuing by the way to go through in your fight. Um, but also like how, you know, how that plays into your experiences with Violet, right? That you were just coming off a, a, a huge, you know, huge high and all the things that you go through as a parent and helping your kid get through through cancer. So I want to spend a, a good amount of time having you share that that part of your story. And uh, we'll we'll do that at another time. So yeah. Um, can't thank you guys enough Whoa. for for yeah. sharing today. This was really, 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 you know, cool for you to do this. To find information about today's episode, how to support the podcast, or find out how you can share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com. All of our social media info is there. Or you can just look on all platforms for Full of Hope Podcast. In the next episode, we will get into the cancer battle that Brian faces. Thank you so much for listening and sharing with a friend. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Violet's story is living proof that there is so much reason to be full of hope.